0: This is the Bible in One Year, day 48. Sharpen your conscience. Jesus asked the question in today's passage, which is lawful, to do good or to do evil? I used to be an atheist. I believed that our bodies and minds and the circumstances into which we were born determined all our actions. Logically, it seemed to me, if there is no God, there's no absolute basis for morality. Therefore, following this logic, there's no absolute good or evil. Yet, deep down, I knew there was such a thing as good and evil. Even though I didn't believe in God, I used these words. However, it was not until I encountered Jesus that I understood there is a God who has created a moral universe. In the Scriptures, and in particular in the person of Jesus Christ, the nature of good and evil are revealed. God has given us a conscience so that we know that some things are good, and others are evil. But our consciences can be dulled, and they need to be sharpened by objective truth. Proverbs 5
1: My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion, and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil but in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house lest you lose your honour to others and your dignity to one who is cruel, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, How I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction, I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors and I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people.
0: Beware of evil disguised as good. All sin involves a kind of deception. It often involves the disguising of evil as good. There is a superficial attraction for the lips of an adulterous drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall and following that path leads to death and the grave. These verses capture both the appeal and the danger of sexual temptation. We live in an increasingly sexualized society, with internet pornography readily available, sexual images all around us, and a culture that encourages us to seek sexual fulfillment. Our sexuality is a God-given blessing, but when used wrongly, it can be destructive and damaging. These verses alert us to the attractiveness of sexual sin, but warn us not to be deceived by it. Keep away from the path you will regret. Keep your distance. Stay out of her neighborhood. If we ignore this advice, we may waste our lives and end our lives full of regrets. Don't flirt with temptation. Flee temptation. Joyce Meyer writes, Wisdom is our friend. It helps us not to live in regret. I think the saddest thing in the world would be to reach old age and look back at my life and feel nothing but regret about what I did or did not do. Wisdom helps us make choices now that we will be happy with later. Lord, help me to take wise precautions in order to stay far away from anything that could lead me into sin. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. New Testament, Mark 2 and 3.
1: Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiaphar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Mark, Chapter 3 Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons he's driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, He has an
0: impure spirit. Decide about Jesus, good or evil. Who is Jesus? All of us have to make up our minds about Jesus. Was he evil? Was he insane? Or was he God? This is not a new question. The people in Jesus' time also had to decide between these three options. Jesus was not just a great religious teacher. He clearly regarded himself as far more than that. Jesus made astonishing claims about himself. Even in this relatively short part of Mark's Gospel, we see a number of such claims. There really are only three options. Either he was evil or insane, or else the claims were true. First, was he evil? The teachers of the law said he's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons he's driving out demons. They were saying he has an evil spirit. Second, was he insane? People were saying about Jesus, he's out of his mind. Third, is he God? Jesus is implicitly saying that he is the bridegroom. He describes himself as Lord even under the Sabbath. And when the evil spirits cry out, You are the Son of God, Jesus did not deny it, but gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. C.S. Lewis sums it up like this. We are faced then with a frightening alternative. The man we're talking about either was and is just what he said, or else insane or something worse. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither insane nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. God has landed on this enemy-occupied world in human form. Our decision about whether Jesus is evil, insane or God has huge consequences. After spending three years with him, his disciples came to the conclusion that he really was the unique Son of God, the Word made flesh, a man whose identity was God. Jesus called them as he calls us, first to be with him, and then to take his message to the world. Jesus says to those who are describing him as evil, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Many people have become anxious about this verse, but anyone who is worried about it will not have committed the sin. The fact people are troubled and willing to repent is sure proof that they've not committed it. Those who are repentant will be forgiven, What is referred to here is not the uttering of a sentence, but a fixed attitude of mind. Jesus does not say that they have committed this sin, but warns them of the danger they're in. These are not ordinary people. The scribes were duly accredited theological teachers of God's people. They were in daily contact with the Word of God. This sin is an attitude that regards good as evil and evil as good. Such a person has sunk to a point where they cannot repent and be forgiven. Also in this category is Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The New Testament assures us that anyone who does repent and turn to Jesus will be forgiven. Jesus, I worship you today as the Bridegroom, my Lord and the Son of God. Old Testament, Exodus 21 and 22 These are the laws you are to set before them.
1: If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he is to go free alone. But if he has a wife when he comes, she is to go with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the woman and her children shall belong to her master, and only the man shall go free. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. If a man sells his daughter as a servant, she is not to go free as male servants do. If she does not please the master who has selected her for himself, he must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has broken faith with her. If he selects her for his son, he must grant her the rights of a daughter. If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. Anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. However, if it is not done intentionally, but God lets it happen, they are to flee to a place I will designate. But if anyone schemes and kills someone deliberately, that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. Anyone who attacks their father or mother is to be put to death. Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. If people quarrel and one person hits another with a stone or with their fist and the victim does not die but is confined to bed, The one who struck the blow will not be held liable if the other can get up and walk around outside with the staff. However, the guilty party must pay the injured person for any loss of time and see that the victim is completely healed. Anyone who beats their male or female slave with a rod must be punished if the slave dies as a direct result. But they are not to be punished if the slave recovers after a day or two since the slave is their property. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, Wound for wound, bruise for bruise. An owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye. And an owner who knocks out the tooth of a male or female slave must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth. If a bull gores a man or woman to death, the bull is to be stoned to death and its meat must not be eaten. But the owner of the bull will not be held responsible. If, however, the bull has had the habit of goring, and the owner has been warned but has not kept it penned up, and it kills a man or woman, the bull is to be stoned, and its owner also is to be put to death. However, if payment is demanded, the owner may redeem his life by the payment of whatever is demanded. This law also applies if the bull gores a son or a daughter. If the bull gores a male or female slave, the owner must pay thirty shekels of silver to the master of the slave, and the bull is to be stoned to death. If anyone uncovers a pit or digs one and fails to cover it and an ox or donkey falls into it, the one who opened the pit must pay the owner for the loss and take the dead animal in exchange. If anyone's bull injures someone else's bull and it dies, the two parties are to sell the live one and divide both the money and the dead animal equally. However, if it was known that the bull had the habit of goring, yet the owner did not keep it penned up, the owner must pay animal for animal and take the dead animal in exchange. Exodus chapter 22 Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If a thief is caught breaking in at night and is struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, the defender is guilty of bloodshed. Anyone who steals must certainly make restitution. But if they have nothing, they must be sold to pay for their theft. If the stolen animal is found alive in their possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, they must pay back double. If anyone grazes their livestock in a field or vineyard and lets them stray and they graze in someone else's field, the offender must make restitution from the best of their own field or vineyard. If a fire breaks out and spreads into thorn bushes, so that it burns sheaves of corn or standing corn or the whole field, the one who started the fire must make restitution. If anyone gives a neighbor silver or goods for safekeeping and they are stolen from the neighbor's house, the thief, if caught, must pay back double. But if the thief is not found, the owner of the house must appear before the judges, and they must determine whether the owner of the house has laid hands on the other person's property. In all cases of illegal possession of an ox, a donkey, a sheep, a garment, or any other lost property about which somebody says, This is mine, both parties are to bring their cases before the judges. The one whom the judges declare guilty, must pay back double to the other. If anyone gives a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any other animal to their neighbor for safekeeping and it dies, or is injured or is taken away while no one is looking, the issue between them will be settled by the taking of an oath before the Lord that the neighbor did not lay hands on the other person's property. The owner is to accept this, and no restitution is required. But if the animal was stolen from the neighbor, restitution must be made to the owner. If it was torn to pieces by a wild animal, the neighbor shall bring in the remains as evidence and shall not be required to pay for the torn animal. If anyone borrows an animal from their neighbor, and it is injured or dies while the owner is not present, they must make restitution. But if the owner is with the animal, the borrower will not have to pay. If the animal was hired, the money paid for the hire covers the loss. If a man seduces a virgin who is not pledged to be married and sleeps with her, he must pay the bride price, and she shall be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he must still pay the bride price for virgins. Do not allow a sorceress to live. Anyone who has sexual relations with an animal is to be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord must be destroyed. Do not ill-treat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows, and your children fatherless. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset, because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. Do not hold back offerings from your granaries or your vats. You must give me the firstborn of your sons. Do the same with your cattle and your sheep. Let them stay with their mothers for seven days but give them to me on the eighth day. You are to be my holy people. So do not eat the meat of an animal torn by wild beasts. Throw it to the dogs.
0: Promote good and prevent evil. The people of God drew up rules for their society. Some of the laws may appear very strange or harsh to us. However, If we compare them to the laws of other ancient people, they are remarkably humane, and some of the principles are still relevant today. These laws were designed to limit evil. For example, there's a right to self-defence, but not to use excessive force in self-defence. There's also the prohibition against escalating violence, and the provision of an equivalent penalty, life for life, eye for eye, and so on. The law was clearly designed for judges, and not for private individuals. It was a guide for judges and sentencing. It was never intended that individuals should exact such revenge. In fact, it was almost certainly never taken literally, except in the case of capital offences. The laws were seen as giving the maximum possible sentence. Penalties were generally replaced by financial fines and damages. To an ancient reader, the emphasis on slaves' rights would have been revolutionary. Masters had to release their slaves after a maximum of six years. There were strict controls to limit the mistreatment of slaves. There seems to have been a particular concern for the rights of female slaves, who would have been especially vulnerable in the ancient world. They're not to be treated the same as male slaves, but must either be married or allowed to be redeemed. At the same time, the laws of ancient Israel sought to promote good. God said, you are my holy people. So there were laws to protect the foreigners, as well as widows and orphans. In tomorrow's passage, we'll see there are also laws to ensure justice for the poor. Individuals were taught not to seek revenge and not to bear grudges. Rather, they were taught, love your neighbour as yourself. The law helped to build a community that had interdependence and mutual accountability as its basis. Each regulation, however strange, helped the people to learn how to belong together and care for each other. This is a lesson we all need to learn, particularly in the independent and isolated environment of 21st century living. We do not follow rules and regulations just because we have to, but because they help us to treat each person as someone made in the image of God. Lord, help me in my life to avoid evil and to do good. Help me to treat each person that I'm in contact with today as someone made in the image of God with love, dignity, and respect. Pippa adds, Having read Exodus 21 and 22, which are all about laws to protect society, I'm very glad that in the New Testament Jesus radically reinterprets the Old Testament and we see him healing someone on the Sabbath.